Halloween is here, and with it comes all sorts of confusingly sexy costumes, like sexy corn on the cob or goldfish, sexy lobster, and of course, sexy lollygaggers podcaster. On this episode, Justin finishes Spider-Man and My Hero Academia, while Jeff reads a study in Emerald and plays Shadows of Brimstone. Both lollygaggers then break down season three of Daredevil, before ending with the Gentleman's Challenge. Welcome to episode number 31 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different geek things from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. Another one, Justin. What's up, man? Nothing. Nothing. Just recording on a Monday. And, you know, yeah. Busy with stuff this week. And I thought I was going to do, um, we had a, my head coach asked me if I wanted to go do like a play-by-play thing of Pop Warner uh, finals this weekend. I was like, yeah, you want me to be, uh, I'll be your Troy Aikman to your, uh, uh, what's it, Bob Costas or whatever. I was like, hey, yeah, let's do that. I won't do it. So many things, so many things I need to break down here. Uh, so were you going to be the play-by-play? I was going to be the color commentary. Okay, yeah, okay. Because then, because Troy Aikman is with, isn't with Bob Costas, because Bob Costas is on NBC, I think. And then Troy Aikman's on Fox, and that's Joe Buck. Oh yeah, Joe Buck. Yeah, so my yeah. Friend, my my head coach is gonna be Joe Buck, and I was gonna be Troy Aikman. So oh, so your friend's a jerk because no one likes Joe Buck. <laughs> Everyone hates Joe Buck. I, I guess I don't know. I don't really care one way or the other. I think he's fine. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, that fell through. So, anyways, wasn't able to do it. Still, we didn't record on Saturday. So now we're a day late. My brother sent me. A text I was busy watching the Dodgers lose a World Series. Oh, so, you know, can only do that. Every year, no, they didn't. They went. I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit at the very end of the episode. I got, I got a little <laughs> thank you goes out to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, we'll cover that later. But thank uh, you for wasting my time. Yeah, thank you for hurrying up and lose really fast. I guess it's nice. All sorts of ways I can phrase that, but I got a, I got a special way that's unique to this World Series. So, uh, so anyway, you get any, 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 any gaming in or any, any? Uh, I did. Any uh, any fancy stuff? Did you get Red Dead Redemption Two? I no, I felt out. like it would be uh, it wouldn't be prudent for me to get a new PS4 solo game until I finished the current one I had because I'm pretty sure if I bought another game, my wife would be nice. very upset. So uh, I sure. I took the time and finished up Spider Man this weekend, and I put a lot of time into it this weekend, a lot of time. Uh, to hey, the point where hey, you know, if you want to get something done, you really got to commit. You know, it's good. Yeah. The point where when I would fall asleep, I'd think of swinging through New York. It was really sad um, how bad it was. That's but, weird. Uh, I uh, I also had dreams of swinging through New York, but it was a totally different kind of swinging. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, but uh, so I finished it up last night at twelve thirty in the night, uh, which is not very smart. Saying I had to work the next day, and I paid for it this morning. Yeah, but you're just a you're just a teacher. It's not like it's yeah, important. Just, There's really just, no one depending on your performance or anything. <laughs> so I played it and finished it up last night. Um, when I was done with it, I had like an 82% completion. So I did a lot of like the side quests. That's like a B minus. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I want 100 percent at some point because I have all the suits, which is interesting. So if I, I'm missing one suit, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, the only suit that doesn't show up, which really annoys me. Is there's no black suit, which makes me also think mm. that maybe in a sequel they're going to do a Venom sequel, and so they'll have to do the black suit. Well, if 
if part of the hundred percent was that you had to collect Toby, uh, Toby, what the hell's his name? Toby something's hairstyle from Spider-Man three. <laughs> what the hell's that actor's name? Toby McGuire. Toby I told him playing to Toby McGuire. Like you had to get his like emo hairstyle at the end of uh, Superman three. Would you still go hundred percent? Uh, yes, absolutely. That's commitment, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I mean, I'm saddened, but I'm also impressed. But anyways, um, I finished up the whole story. Um, it is truly a phenomenal game uh, from beginning to end. Um, I know I talked about it briefly before, but after having the time to go through the whole storyline and to experience the entire thing, I really, 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 really like this game. Um, and it's not just because I'm a giant comic book fan. And I enjoy Spider-Man stuff. It's just as as a storytelling uh, uh facet of the game as a action adventure game it is i don't think there's any game i've ever played that's been like it now i know i've sung the praises of god of war and thought god of war might be the best game i've ever played i think this might finally ps4 is, is nuts like sure. every game they're coming out with is unbelievable like well it makes sense that spider-man you think it's better because you've played it more recently yeah, yeah that too but i also played i played god of war not too long ago trying 100 at some but like and god of war has a lot of positives to it and there's a lot of cinematic stuff in that mm -hmm. game too yeah there's but it's probably you played like 17 hours ago or something yeah, yeah, yeah i mean that's pretty recent and there's a lot of parallels good storytelling aspects good cinematic moments um but really what stood out for this was um the reason why i knew it was an entertaining game was this is the first game in a very long time where my wife sat down and watched it like it was a movie and she was almost upset when i was playing it without her being there and that hasn't happened in a very long time with a game um, where she was actually enthralled just by watching. It was almost a movie to her because the, the way, story, the story was genu genuinely that interesting. It's in the story is genuinely that interesting. And the action that in the, in the game is so enthralling and so immersive that it, it really truly makes you feel like as the player that you are controlling Spider-Man, you know, a lot of other That's games. Impressive. Yeah, a lot of other games, like, you can do this stuff where, like, you do the moves and stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that happens in the game where, like, wow, that's that's really neat. Um, there's right. a lot of, mo like, splash art moments. You know, like, how I would always say, like, in the Marvel movies, there's, like, these slow-down moments where it's almost like it's a splash art from a comic book. I know that you're reading more comics. I'm sure you know what a splash art page is. Oh, like. I do. I do. I'm, Pro. I'm a professional now at this. And there's a lot of those splash art moments in this game where it really makes you say, wow, that was really cool. And the, the final the final yeah. fight you have with the final boss, I don't want to get into too much about who is the final boss because it's like it's spoilers and stuff like that. Just the final fight is so cinematic and cool. And the and the final the actual final final fight where you're actually the final position where you're fighting him is so interesting and neat because you fight him on the side of a building. And you're basically standing straight up on the side of a building and he's also fighting. And so you're like looking down at it, but like from you, it's right side up because of the way the camera is angled. It's just so impressive. Like these games like this, God of War, uh, Uncharted, games where they're not just creating like good fights and a good story. They're creating an immersive movie-like structure. This is where I think these games mm -hmm. really excel. Yeah. And like, imagine, uh, imagine if it, uh, I mean, cause of how good it sounds like when you're, you're playing and fighting, imagine if it was uh, somebody who was good at video games that she was yeah. playing, like it would be even more entertaining. Right? The worst part is like, 
where these huge cinematic moments are happening and i die halfway through right and then i have to like start yeah. it over again does <laughs> the like, screen like go black and white or something like yeah or just like kind of like stops like there was a moment where when you fight scorpion he has like a toxin makes you hallucinate very much like um it was very much scarecrowy from batman but not as not as much as like scarecrow just kind of like an alternate universe and like i died like six times on trying to traverse the area because i was an idiot trying to run through and i died like six times i'm like all right this whatever cinematic experience you're trying to create it's completely gone now i'm just gonna try and get through this so i was really impressed with that um there's tons of challenges there's a challenge where you have to do like actual like swing challenges and fighting challenges and uh like hunting down challenges and it's all created by Taskmaster. And Taskmaster is a Marvel character that the whole point of it is he his his ability is he can copy people's moves. So he's doing these challenges to copy your moves. And then randomly in the game, if you do enough of his challenges, he will fight you. He'll just catch you from the sky. And then you have to have a boss fight in the middle of the game. And I thought that was really, really cool uh, doing that little situation. There's tons of little nods to different characters. There was Taskmaster, Shocker is early in the game, Screwball is straight from the comic books, and she's a really dumb character, but it was interesting that they put her in. Tombstone is in it. Um, he was, he's got a really cool side storyline. Black Cat, and Black Cat is focused in the new DLC that's coming out. Um, and Silver Sable is a big character in it, too. Silver Sable is an interesting character from uh, like a neighboring country to Doctor Doom and stuff like that. So like, it's really cool. Miles Morales plays a big part in it. Miles Morales is the other Spider-Man. They do some stuff to tease him. And there's a lot of stuff that happens at the end because there's post-credit scenes and they post-post-credit scenes because it wouldn't be a Marvel franchise thing unless they had that type of stuff. There's stuff mm -hmm. to do with the Osbournes with that too and I thought it was really, really good. So it, it's tough. Like God of War, and I think you're, part of it is you're right, is like the time-wise when I saw it, when I played it, God of War was amazing and this is amazing. It's tough. But it's unbelievable how PS4 is just head and shoulders better than anything I've seen for... for uh, xbox in a very long time and i want to play red red dead redemption but now i really want to play this dlc and then have to get red dead redemption and i really would rather play red dead redemption on a computer whenever they get the computer port so i can you know do multiplayer with friends i'm not like sure that. they're actually planning to do that like i was uh i was reading that that isn't a done deal that they're actually going to port it i'm not sure i really hope they do because i don't like doing shooters with a controller so anyways yeah that's uh that's spider-man I highly, it's probably one of my, you know, I have a pan, a high pantheon, like uh, Ocarina of Time is number one for me. This has got to be top five. It's like Ocarina of Time, God of War, this, and a few others, like uh, Mario 64, uh, and then Link to the Past. Like there's, I have a certain like very high pantheon of games I really love no matter what, like World of Warcraft's in there just purely off of the amount of time I've played it. But like this game's unbelievable and uh i love it 100 so i suggest somebody get out there and give sony more money right hey. anyways i'm done what do you got to talk about so speaking of red dead redemption and cowboys and westerns i played not that because anyone can do that but i played <laughs> a board game uh called shadows of brimstone uh semi or subtitle swamps of death uh, so this is a uh, this is this is a cowboy western horror game. So I've been kind of continuing this whole uh, trend uh, over the course of, uh, of of October, playing horror themed board games with either my wife or you know gaming group, and I can get some people together that kind of stuff. And so this is the one that my wife actually suggested we play, and we hadn't played it in a really long time because it's been around for a couple of years now. 
Uh, but we we played it uh, quite a bit. It was one of the first, I don't know, 10 games or so we probably got in our collection. And so we played a ton out of it when we first started collecting a good four years ago. Uh, so it's designed by Jason C. Hill, and it's published by Flying Frog Produc- Productions. Um, there's art by multiple people, so I'm not exactly sure who, who, who to credit here, but a couple of the, the first names listed are Gail Guman, uh, Jack Scott Hill, and Ra- Ralph Horsley. Um, I don't know exactly if they did like the box art or the card art or whatever. Uh, but anyway, those are a couple of the names. It's it's an older game. It's an Old West themed dungeon crawler. Uh, it was published back in 2014 after a Kickstarter in 2013 uh, that had like two purchase options for the core games. Now, I, I didn't actually back this on Kickstarter. I bought this at retail. Um, this is before I got into my uh, my Kickstarter addiction, actually. Um, but there were two core games that were being kickstarted in 2013, and they were one was called Swamps of Death, which is what I have, and one was called City of Ancients. Uh, Swamps of Death is like basically cowboys versus like Cthulhu devilish hellspawn type things, whereas City of Ancients is basically cowboys versus aliens. Um, there's there was more recently another Shadows of Brimstone core box that was kickstarted in 2016, which has a feudal Japan setting, and that's called a Forbidden Fortress. I really thought heavily about backing that, but I was at a point where I was backing a ton of games at that point. I was trying to cut down. Um, but I think a lot of these games are interchangeable. They have at least have interchangeable parts. You can like kind of um, bring certain monsters over into different games. You can bring certain character classes over. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of overlapping and modularity to uh, to the way these games are designed. And there's also a bunch of uh, expansions boxes for each of these. So I know like Caverns Caverns of Cinders, for example, is one of the larger box expansions that you can get that add, that adds extra uh, extra places to go, extra encounters, extra monsters. It's a miniatures based game. Um, I think this is actually our first miniatures game ever. Um, and it was kind of crazy because this was a game that requires you to put the miniatures together, uh, which is not something that's as common these days. Um, far more often these days, uh, like various companies that, that are putting out miniature-based games already have them pre-assembled. Um, but this one does not. Um, and so that was really my introduction to this. And it was not the easiest job. It was my first time I ever doing it. And it was the first time I ever painting it. So it really kind of ushered me into it. So it's very nostalgic, um, this sort of game that we, we busted out. Um, it's a cooperative dungeon crawls for one to four players, but if you get some expansions or if you mix together some core boxes, you can actually go higher if you want. I think it goes up to like six or something. Um, so when you play, everyone everyone plays on the same team, entirely cooperative, and you play as various Old West archetypes. So there's like the lawman, the rancher, the priest, the Native American tracker, um, and a bunch of others too that I can't Is remember. Is there a so, prospector? Um, that I think that sounds familiar, actually. There might be a yeah, prospector. A prospect. It's cool to them here. I played the priest, uh, and uh, I, I my my running name for him was Ezekiel, so I called him Ezekiel. And then I also used him in a game of Fiasco, which is like this uh, like this one shot RPG kind of acting thing that we've done, where me, Gabe, uh, Ashley, and Coder, uh, we we did like a whole like impromptu act. I think this was years ago, and I had to. Uh, and I was a, I was an old man priest, and I was Coder's dad, and we had like a really bad relationship. And then Ashley. Uh, played a character who was possessed and I had to perform an exorcism on her. And oh, yeah, so we were in the living room while, while the other while the other group is at like the game table playing a board game, the rest of us in our living room, and I'm screaming, demons out! Like in this crazy old man, like hillbilly voice, and she's all playing with it too. It was insane. I honestly think she was possessed and I think I honestly did perform an exorcism. It really might have happened that way. Anywho, uh, all the characters in this game are 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 based on those archetypes and everyone picks one and you can play. 
Um, and you're essentially trying to clear out the countryside of all sorts of monsters. And so for us, it's these um, like tentacle monsters, hell bats, these big old wing demons, like this one particularly that's called the Harbinger. Uh, there's like these extra planar lizardmen that we bought in this mini expansion and some massive slugs and some zombies and things like that. Uh, the City of Ancients core box, again, is more cowboys and aliens. I haven't played that one, but the, the gameplay is exactly the same. It's just sort of a different theme. Um, and you can, again, you can mix and match. Uh, the game's got modular boards that are two-sided tiles that are all in various puzzle shapes. Um, some of them very large, some of them more in in interconnections. Um, and on one side of the tile is basically an old mine. And then on the other side are uh, thematically specific to your core box. So for us, the other side of, the, of those mine tiles are the swamps of Jargonu, which is this different world. Um, where like lizard men and snake folk and reptiles and dinosaurs and stuff like that live. And some, some scenarios have like the players clearing out these, these mines on earth that are filled with creatures like this that have come through some kind of extra planar portal. And then there's other scenarios that have players actually going through those portals and taking the fight to the swamps themselves. Um, so games can be played either as uh, a, a one-off scenario, which is what we did over the weekend because we haven't busted it out in a while, um, or through a campaign system where your character can level up, get new abilities and items, and um, even suffer, and this is one of the coolest things about this, this game series, even suffer mutations uh, because of their exposure to like this dark crystal, name escapes me at this moment, but it's like this kind of dark crystalline uh, compound that you collect as you go. And the more you have, you have to roll like these, you have to roll dice at the end when you leave the mine. And then like, if you roll poorly, you can actually get a mutation. Um, so they can be things like tails. You can grow a tail, you can grow a fang, you can grow horns, et cetera. Um, my priest character, when we played our really longest or longest running campaign, um, where we played like dozens of scenarios over, um, has fangs and basically was able to do a specialized melee attack where he just like bites a bunch of people. It's awesome. Um, the campaign system also has a frontier town that you can kind of return to in between missions um, where you can buy stuff, you can upgrade stuff, get new, you know, things like that. Um, there's also these town ba based encounters that are really nice. And there's even an expansion that um, builds upon this frontier town thing. So in the base game, you just have like a sheet and, a, you know, a couple different sheets and then you roll, roll some dice based upon the encounters that are happening within that actual town. But there's an actual expansion that really broadens that and like fleshes out that gameplay more that we haven't played, but I'm really interested in trying at some point. Um, gameplay wise, it's just a dice chucker. Like it's, and it's tactical, like it's a tactical dice chucker, but it's still a, a dice chucker. All the tiles are gridded uh, and there's a fog of war system sort of like once you reach, like you start on like the main entrance to it, like the, uh, the mine for instance. And then as you move this amount of, you know, amount of grid, uh, square spots towards the edge of that tile, you you open up the next tile, right? And so it's like you're constantly drawing a brand new map. And so anytime you play a given scenario, there's not like a set layout for how the map's going to look. Like there's some partial um, like starting points, but then it grows. So the map grows and you sort of draw cards and that randomly determines what the next tile is actually going to be. So that's kind of cool. Um, and there's often these little small narrative encounters that you have to, uh, have to deal with that usually requires a dice roll to check one of their, you know, various abilities like strength and luck and lore and spirit. Um, so very, very RPG light stuff. So what you would expect in an RPG, which is essentially skill checks is what you're doing here. Um, it's, uh, it's primarily D6 based. So you're always rolling D6. There's a D8 at some point, but I can't remember what it's for, but, um, it's D6. And so you're constantly rolling these multiple D6s. Um, and depending on the type of, uh, the type of encounter, like if it's an, if it's a combat, for instance, um, 
and depending on the type of attack, like whether it's ranged or melee and whatever equipment you have, you roll a certain number of D6 for your attack rolls. It's very kind of traditional roll to attack first. And then if you hit, comparing that with like your own personal to hit score, then you roll damage. And if once you roll damage, you subtract like whatever your attacking's defense from it, and that's how much damage you do to it. Um, so you assign hits to the various creatures, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's pretty straightforward in, the, in, those, in that regard. So like if you ever played like a gridded, um, like Dungeons and Dragons type game, like it's very similar to that. Like, uh, so it's, it's, it's really what you would expect. Um, so very fun. Um, now, monsters kind of behave in a fairly similar way. Um, they each have their own special abilities and they have their own range of stats, etc. One of the cool things I like about it is that there's these very large cards that represent the statistics of the um, of the monsters themselves. Like they're really big. They're even bigger than like tarot cards. And like on one side, it's just like the normal monster. And then on the other side, if you want to play like the brutal mode, which is like super crazy nightmarish difficulty, like it has a different set of stats. But even if on the normal side, like there are times when you have to draw a spawn and you have to spawn a, like an elite version of that same monster. And then there's like a list of special abilities that could be randomly assigned to that elite monster, which is really nice. So it adds some variation. So you're not just fighting the exact same stuff over and over again. So sometimes you might roll the die to get the random ability and it might be like stronger defense or it might be you know more damage or it might be more elusive or greater movement or something like that. So there's always that slight variation, which helps, uh, I think, keep it keep, keep things a little fresh and not as predictable, which is pretty fun. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the game. Like as you're exploring, there's this whole darkness track, too. So like the further you explore into the cave or into the swamp. Like it's a two-way track. One one goes from left to right. These little spots that you move, like this little this little cardboard disc from left to right on. And then there's another part that goes from right to left. Um, so left to right is like as you explore, you're constantly moving this token over to the right, and you're having to make these darkness checks. And if you pass the darkness checks, then you don't you don't have to draw a darkness card. But if you fail the check, then you have to draw another one, and usually bad things happen. It's some sort of um, bonus that the uh, that the monsters or something like that get for the next round or so. And then the other one is like the darkness track. So every time you fail, you have to like move the from right to left. And at any point, if those two things intersect, then you basically lose the game. So that's kind of like the timer on it. Um, there's all sorts of flavor text too in the book um, in the lore stuff. It's really cool. Like I, I really like this game. We haven't played it for a while. Like there's some things about it that 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 frustrated me. Like there's there's like roll to move, which is kind of crazy. Like that game. Like one of the things that drive me nuts is like rolling to move because like you roll a d6 and that's how far you can move. Like if you roll a one, that's like so not fun. And there's a variant like a rule in the back that says just give everyone four speed, and that's that's what we play with because otherwise it's sort of no fun when you're like, hey, I rolled a one, I can't move anywhere, you know. Um, but there's there's a lot of other stuff in it that I'm not really mentioning. I'm just sort of giving a brief overview. But it's a really fun game. Um, I it's a it's an RPG light. It's like an RPG in a box. Like there's a lot of these types of terms that uh, people throw around within the board gaming or the tabletop sphere. Like it's not a pure like Dungeons and Dragons super in depth type of thing, but it's pretty close. And it's a really good board game. It's been around for a while. Like there's three iterations of it. There's a bunch of content to it. Um, and I also just love the theme. It's like, it's totally different than what you'd expect. It's not like swords and shields, like we're constantly used to. And it's, it's not even like, you know, space opera stuff. Um, or it's not even like Cthulhu based 1920s era. Like, even though there's some Cthulhu elements or Lovecraftian elements to it, like it's Westerny, you know, it's like 19th century Westerny stuff with cowboys. Um, so it's a really fun game. It's not a particularly inexpensive, uh, thing to get into. And, you know, it's, I guess you can probably get like the uh, the core boxes these days for like 60 bucks. 
but you do have to put the miniatures together, which is kind of kind of annoying, um, especially if you've never done it before. Uh, the miniatures themselves are pretty cool, but you know, putting them together can be kind of a pain. Uh, but I do recommend it. It was definitely a blast from the past. I'm all I'm already thinking about like we're going to start a new campaign at some point. Uh, it would be fun to do because it's been a while since we played one. But um, that's a uh, that's Shadows of Brimstone, Swamps of Death. It's by Flying Frog Productions. Uh, really good game. It's been around for a while, but I think is it stood the test of time. So. All right. Well, uh, I was trying to find a new um, anime, and I've been asking around. I asked Gabe. Well, there's, there's tons of them. It's pretty easy to find them. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was trying to find a new one to kind of like get into. Yeah. So Goblin Slayer didn't get you going. Well, it's also that there's not a ton of episodes. I want to. I'm gonna keep watching that, even though it is a little rough at times. But uh, I want to watch a new one, so I started watching uh, My Hero Academia, and I've heard a lot of good things about. It. It's like one of the most popular things in cosplay right now. It's really weird, um, but it's for a reason. And um, I was asking around. I asked Gabe what to watch, and then Gabe asked Coder, and Coder because Coder knows his anim his animus. Um, yes, he so, does. Um, Coder suggested My Hero Academia. So I saw the first couple of episodes. I'm like, it's okay. But then I started getting into it. I'm like, all right, I'm hooked. So basically the story is this. And I'm not usually into these types of stories. I'm more into like a fantasy-based anime or um, more adult, I guess. I, not so much like mm -hmm. uh, not so much like Goblin Slayer. That's a little bit too much. But like more serious. But um, basically the idea is you have a character called Azuki Midoriya. And he's basically this kid that lives in a world. And this world is special. What's special about this world is everybody has a thing called a quirk. And a quirk is a special, like, mutant ability, right? Think of, like, X-Men, but everybody's got it. And really, the 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 odd ones out are those that are quirkless, you know? So, like, there's, like, a 98% of the population it has a quirk. And, like, 2% of the population doesn't. And so, uh, Izuku basically is this kid that has grown up idolizing the most popular uh, quirk-bearing character of all time, and his name is All Might. And All Might is basically like the Superman of this universe. And um, he saved thousands of people, and he's super charismatic, has a big old smile, and it's just amazing. And Izuku's always been a huge fan of him, and he's always wanted to be just like him. Well, it turns out that Izuku doesn't have a quirk. And um, he basically spends his childhood being ridiculed, made fun of. He's got a friend called uh, Katsuki, and basically he's a he's a giant jerk that has an amazing quirk. His quirk is basically his sweat glands secrete a nitroglycerin, and basically he can create fire from his sweat glands. And so, like, he can like use it as a propulsion or as a weapon, however he wants to use it. And so, one of his friends, who's kind of a giant jerk, um, basically has this amazing quirk, and he's a huge fan, and he wants to be just like him. But he's just a little loser, basically. But through his years of being quirkless, he still wants to become a member of the most uh, prestigious high school in the area called uh, the Hero Academia. And basically, uh, it's it's Hero U is what it is. And so basically, the idea is the best of the best go here, become heroes, and are there are then registered to become like the greatest heroes in the world. And so you have all these different superheroes. All Might basically is super strong, super fast, and everything, super charismatic. You have a guy who's super fast, but he's made of wood, um, so he can, like, stretch and stuff. You have a girl who's super, super big. Um, but you also notice that everyone has these different weaknesses. Like, they try and solve a problem, but half of them can't do it because there's a fire. The guy made out of wood can't solve it. 
because he'll just burn. Uh, it's in a too tight of a space, so the giant woman can't help out because she can't fit in there. And so, like, you see, like, how there has to be so many superheroes to stop certain villains um, because everyone's quirk is so specific that it's very difficult to cater to whatever the situation is. Well, anyways, Izuku basically um, wants to be a hero and can't because of his quirk. One day, uh, a supervillain tries to uh, kill uh, his his friend Izuku, the one that's very powerful, and he just jumps in by the seat of his pants and tries to solve it and try to tries to save him with no powers, and and almost doing so, almost dies. Um, and he also encounters All Might in public, but you find out that All Might is not who he says he is. Basically, his power is it's a power that was donated to him and that the only way he can use it, he can only use it for a certain amount of time. And usually he's this big gangly, gross looking guy, but when he uses it, he becomes a superhero and he's kind of jaded by the process. He he's beginning to lose uh, like faith in humanity. And because Izuku's so inspiring and is willing to give out, give all everything, even though it might mean his certain death, he inspires All Might to be a better man and to do a better job. And so All Might says, because you're such a great person, he's got a, his power is called all for one. So basically the idea is he can donate his power when he's done using it. So he tells Izuku, because you've inspired me to be a better man, to try and do better for the people, when I'm done, I'm going to donate you my power. So he, he kind of like starts training Izuku to become the next greatest hero of all time. And it's kind of a basic idea. And at first I'm like, this is a little cheesy. You got a lot of people dressed as superheroes, but every single time, like Azuku is this loser. He, he wants to be great. He just can't because he doesn't have the ability. And All Might gives him a portion of his power. He just gives him a hair. He consumes one of his hairs and he's so strong from it. And he uses it in such an inappropriate way that it breaks his body when he uses it because his body's not ready for it. So like, he jumps in the sky and punches something so hard that it basically turns his body into rubber because he, he breaks all of his bones. And But those actions are inspiring people to be better, and that's what makes him a great hero is that type of stuff. And it's so cheesy at times, but, man, every time the kid has a moment where it's like, I swear to God, I'm going to be the greatest there is. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. I'm like, he's right, man. Kids, right, and so like with the the funniest, the weirdest part about the show is, and I was kind of hesitant getting in, is it really does inspire you just like how the kid inspires All Might in the show. It does inspire you to kind of be better than what you are, to keep working harder despite what everybody says. And I was like, this is why this is a very popular show because it's 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 very sweet at the heart. It has a great message. Plus, on top of it, you got a really good animation. Now, at times, the animation is complete garbage. Um, but sometimes the animation looks amazing and the fighting looks amazing. Like one punch, the, the animation looks garbage on purpose because they want him to look as stupid as possible. But when the fights happen, it looks amazing. This one, it's not that it's just, that I think the, they're trying to pound out so many episodes. So the, the animation is, is suffering at times, but when it matters, the animation and the stuff is really, really good. So I'm hooked. I, Gabe was telling me you got to because I watched the first two episodes. I was like I don't know. And Gabe's like, you got to watch like four or five. And then I watched like four or five. I'm like, all right, I'm in for the long haul. So I really, really enjoy it. 
Um, it's kind of a and plus, you know, with the superhero stuff, I like the superhero stuff, but it puts a more of a human twist on it because it's not about his power. It's about what he does as the person he is, which makes him a very interesting character, which I really, really like. So that's the type of series stories I like. You can have Superman fighting outer space villains all the time. What makes me more interested in Superman is when he's trying to be a father, like the real life, realistic stuff that they do, the actual character development. And they do a lot of it in this. And I really like that. So um, anyways, that's My Hero Academia. It's like two years old. There's like 35 episodes, and I found them all on Hulu, so you can catch up on it pretty quick. Um, my plan is to kind of pound this out and get it through. Um, it's relatively new, and I see why everyone likes the cosplay because every character is very unique in their cosplay, the way they look, and it's, so, it's kind of goofy, so like everybody likes that little look of like superhero stuff. So anyways, I suggest watching it at some point if you're in that time stuff. So My Hero Academia. That's all I got to say about that. Anything cool. else? Cool. So you like superheroes? I, I don't really like super. I prefer my fiction to be framed around heroes of the mortal kind, with no special crazy abilities other than, you know, just just maybe something like you know, like the ability to solve crimes and notice things out of place. You know, like like a Sherlock Holmes type of thing, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching for a transition here. So I, I want to talk really quickly here. I'll, I mean, I say that all the time, but then I talk for like 15 minutes. So I like, I got a lot of, I got a lot of things I want to say, but uh, I'll try to keep this brief. I want to talk about a study in Emerald, um, which is uh, specifically, I want to talk about the graphic novel adaptation of the short story, which is written by Neil Gaiman. So he, he's, he wrote the story, a study in Emerald, um, this past year, back in July, um, there was a, a, a graphic novel adaptation by Dark Horse Comics. And in the writing credits to that are, are for Raphael Albuquerque along with Neil Gaiman. And then the art credit is to uh, Albuquerque as well. Um, so it's published by Dark Horse Comics. It costs about 10 bucks on either Dark Horse Digital or on Comixology. And it's like a one shot, basically. So it's just like you're not going to have to. I'm not sure what the term is. You would know. But it's not something that that you're going to have to stick with issue to issue. So it's already going to read the whole thing. But it's a great little a adaptation of Gaiman's story. I'm a huge fan of Neil Gaiman. I've read a lot of his work, um, both uh, both graphically with like Sandman, but also like his actual fiction, like, you know, you know Stardust and American Gods and, and so on. Um, so when I saw this, I jumped on it because I'm trying to get into, you know, the comics uh, stuff again more. Um, but I finally finished it. I, I finished it a little while ago, but I was kind of saving it for Halloween. So I was sort of pushing it back because I wanted to have it because it's, it's basically a, a horror type stuff. Now, what Stunia Emerald is, um, the graphic novel is a fairly faithful adaptation. So the short story is a lot like this too. So it's basically a Sherlock Holmes story. If it's Sherlock Holmes meets Lovecraftian Cthulhu mythos, right? It's those two things partner together and they become like an overlapping like universe, right? And so the basic idea is that the Sherlock Holmes is set in an alternate, un uh, an alternate universe basically, or an alternative universe uh, where the old gods, so like Cthulhu and, and all the other people like Yogg-Sothoth and, and so on, have risen and they've taken over the world. Um, humanity goes on about its day, just like normal. So everyone's living their everyday lives, but they're all just doing it in service to these gods. So like they are overlords, they are in charge, etc. And so it's set in your usual Holmesian time. Um, and so the basic premise of, of the what, what triggers this particular story is that there is a death of a prince who is a member of the royal family in London. Now, the royal family is not the royal family that we think about these days, uh, like with Meghan Markle and whatnot. Uh, but it's instead a tentacled elder god. All right. Because that's who the royal all family right. is. Gotcha. 
Uh, so it's it's just the the elder gods coming. So they're 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 the the royalty now. Uh, so Holmes is and Watson are basically called in to investigate, and it leads to your very expected Holmesian affairs. So uh, Holmes has got his customary eye for detail that we've seen in all sorts of different iterations, um, from uh, you know the Benedict Cumberbatch to uh, to Robert Downey Jr.'s adaptations more recently. It's the same kind of idea, like really good eye for detail, penchant for like this like excellent disguises. Uh, a tall, slender man versus Watson, who's a little bit shorter, grounded man who kind of anchors Holmes's, you know, zany brilliance, and then is both like a, has a history as, as both a soldier and a doctor. So we're kind of following the two of them as Watson, you know, first moves into Baker Street and gets, and the two of them kind of get together and they get called in. Um, well, Holmes specifically gets called in to investigate because this is a major deal. Like someone actually killed the prince. Like it's absolutely insane. Now, what's essentially going on in the universe? Because um, I know a little bit about it. Because there's there's another board. There's a board game called A Study in Emerald that I actually have that's based in the same concept. What's basically going on is that there are two primary factions uh, in the world. There's the loyalist and there's the restorationist. Right. So um, loyalists are people who are loyal to the, you know, Cthulhu based mythos, right? The, the, the Royal family. And then there's the restorationists who are essentially a resistance group, um, that are trying to restore the world to what it was to human controlled dominance, like human controlled fate. Right. And so what this basically turns into is an investigation into who in this restorationist group, um, is perhaps responsible for the assassination of this royal family member. Now, I don't want to give everything because it's a, it's a mystery. You know, I don't want to give away who did it, uh, but I do strongly encourage people to read it because I think it's it, whether you're reading the graphic novel or they're reading a short story. I mean, read either or read them both. They're both fantastic because um, there is an amazing twist, uh, and it, but it's not like a it's not like a silly. Well, it kind of is, but it's 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 a it's an amazingly interesting twist. And I'm usually very suspect or suspicious of twists, especially in narratives like movies and whatnot. Um, but I feel like this one's entirely earned and it's fantastic. And I don't want to spoil it because like if you if you read it, Justin, or if anybody who's listening to this reads it, like I want you to go in and like be able to experience it on your own. Like um, but suffice it the suffice to say it like really does put to the test of readers ability to pay attention which is pretty awesome as like pretty much any Holmesian mystery should so it's pretty fantastic um but i think it looks great i think the the artwork looks amazing everything's very crisp uh there's some really good art um it's very consistent with the actual short story itself um having the it's very interesting because like the the first thing i did when the, i read the the short story and then i got the game like the board game and then eventually i got the uh, this particular graphic novel. So like, I really like this world, this idea of like home, like the Holmesian world spliced with like this kind of mythos. Um, the game itself is really good. There's two versions of it. It's designed by Martin Wallace. who's like one of my favorite designers and it's got art by Ian O'Toole. Who's also actually one of my favorite board game artists. Um, that's published by tree frog games. Um, there's two editions of that. There's the first edition, which was a Kickstarter game. And it's at this point kind of hard to find. Um, it's it's a kind of a, it's what's called a grail game at this point for me, which is one I just really want a copy of it. And they're not reprinting it. And then there's the second edition, which is a far more streamlined version of it. It's a hidden role game where like half the people playing are loyalists and half the people playing are restorationists. And you're going through if you're a restorationist, you're like sab like doing all sorts of these little sabotage uh, missions and things like that, like almost like domestic terrorism in a way. Um, but for 
question mark the greater good um but anyway a study in emerald good. <laughs> the greater good uh, but anyway a study in emerald uh really good uh, really good really good graphic novel really good short story nice little world very familiar but it ties together two things that i think a lot are i guess two universes that a lot of people are familiar with and it finds like this cool little story in the middle of it that has a little supernatural element um but it's 10 bucks you can get it on dark horse comics you can get it on comiXology uh and you read it and you're done and you don't have to worry about kind of constantly subscribing and paying it so that's a study in emerald uh definitely recommend it all right man that's good i think we're done we can just quit we're done all right i'll see you all right, bye. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We got to do uh, our breakdown, right? Speaking. E, 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 okay, e. Let's do that. It's the TV. Breakdown. Created by Drew Goddard, Daredevil is the first of multiple Marvel properties Netflix turned into a full-fledged TV series. It stars Charlie Cox as the titular character, who is a vigilante in New York's Hell's Kitchen. Uh, Daredevil's alter ego is Matt Murdock, sometimes a lawyer, sometimes Catholic, and sometimes a very brooding individual who years ago suffered a horrible accident that left him blind. Now, the accident also heightened his other senses, senses that he now relies on to fight the gangsters and criminals that plague the streets of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, Eldon Henson plays Murdock's lawyer, partner, and best friend, Foggy Nelson. And rounding out the central cast, this, this core trio, is Deborah Ann Wool. Uh, who plays Karen Page, part-time legal assistant, full-time investigative journalist, depending on which season you're on. Now, while there have been multiple villains for Daredevil over its first three seasons on Netflix, the most recent season, which is going to be our focus, saw the return of Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin, uh, played by the venerable Vincent D'Onofrio. Season three begins naturally after the events of the first two seasons, but also after the events of the Defenders team-up series that saw Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and the Iron Fist coming together to protect the city. Now, in Season 3 of Daredevil, Wilson Fisk, who has been in prison since the events of Season 1, begins feeding information to the FBI in exchange for better treatment, for a house arrest, and essentially for the freedom of his beloved Vanessa. Now, many people in the city, including Daredevil and Karen Page and Foggy Nelson, believe that Fisk has an ulterior motive to this, his cooperation, uh, and each of them attempts to investigate and stop Fisk in their own separate way, sometimes somewhat successfully, sometimes not. Now, as the season progresses, personal relationships between the three central friends are strained more than probably any other time in the series, and Fisk employs new allies and strategies to get what he wants. Now, in looming throughout this 10-episode uh, third season is the rise of another villain, Bullseye, who will cause Daredevil a kind of difficulty he has not yet faced. Now, for this breakdown, we're going to focus primarily on season three. And while we're likely to give away certain plot points from some episodes, we'll stay away from spoiling the big reveals of the season. Now, if you've never watched Daredevil at all, we are going to be talking about different events from seasons one and two. So definite spoilers for those seasons. Now, should we decide to go full spoiler mode and actually talk about how this season ended or certain certain episodes deep into the season three ended? Uh, we'll give you a warning. Uh, but if you want to go into the into Daredevil completely free of anything, it's best to just skip ahead to the Gentleman's Challenge now and then return to this episode in this segment uh, when you feel like hearing our thoughts on this television show. So, Justin, what do you think of Daredevil? Season I'm going to pass the reins to you because, again, I feel like I have a bit of a Homer attitude towards this. So I'm curious what you think. So you go first. Man, I got to catch my breath. You know how hard it Sorry, is my bad, my bad, my doing bad, that? Bad. Uh, no, um, what did I think of Daredevil? I uh, I enjoy it. Uh, Daredevil, I'll say, is my favorite of the well, I mean, four or five Marvel television shows that are on Netflix. Soon um, to be two. Well, yeah, Luke Cage and The Iron Fist canceled. I mean, 
I heard people speculating maybe Heroes for Hire, like they combine some of them, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think it might just be oversaturation of the market. Like people are kind of starting to get fatigued. Anyway, that's a different different conversation. Now, my thoughts on Daredevil as a whole, before even getting into the specifics of season three, it is my favorite of the four Marvel television shows. And it's not particularly close. There are elements of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones that I love. There are parts of Jessica Jones season one that I thought were fantastic. I had trouble in season two. And then Luke Cage, same thing. I, I absolutely loved it. But for something, for some reason, maybe it was just because Daredevil is the most recognizable character. I was much more familiar with Daredevil going in. Um, but honestly, I, I just think I like the stories better. And I think it's more balanced um, than, than Jessica Jones. Uh, but Luke Cage is really good too, so it's it's really hard to say. Um, but with Daredevil, season three, it it's really really good. Now, I do feel like you probably want to watch the Defenders to understand the state that he's in at the very um, at the very beginning of the season. Um, if you recall, Defenders, there was a very uh, climactic fight in a particular building, and the fate of Daredevil was left as a cliffhanger. And we obviously get the answer that he's okay because there's season three, but that is, is not me spoiling it. That's just Netflix spoiling it. But we spent a lot of the early seasons dealing with him kind of coming to terms with it or him distancing himself from his friends, um, not even really telling them he's alive uh, as he's trying to deal with like this identity crisis, right? Like who he is. Um, He's constantly been fighting off, like, is he is he want to just be Matt Murdock? Does he want to be Daredevil? Does he want to try to have both? Um, and that's something that he has constantly been struggling with, which I, I think is a, is a very classic um, superhero uh, theme, like this idea of can you have this alternate you know identity? Can you have a real life, but also do um, you know the hero thing? I do feel like sometimes that in the early parts of the season that that kind of went on a bit long, and I wish that yeah, I thought that. That's yeah. the same too. I was like, I I get it. You're sad, like, and you're upset, but you got friends, and sometimes you need a friend. Right. And that, that's the only time right. I, it's felt like maybe like one episode too long. Maybe that's what I would say. Yeah, it's interesting too because I binged the hell out of this. You know, we we watched all ten episodes over the course of maybe four days, and even if we hadn't been planning to do this for the podcast, I still would have done it because it's 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 one of my you know one of the shows I I really enjoy. I wonder how the experience would have, di have been different for me. Like, I wonder if if that the length of his broodiness would have been exacerbated by a week to week wait to where I'm like waiting a whole week for some sort of movement, you know, in terms of plot or character development. And then the next episode comes around and there really isn't enough. Right. Like we end the, the episode. Yeah, in the same if place it was a, like a Titan scenario, I would have been annoyed by episode three or so. I'm like, Come on, let's go. Yeah. But the fact that. I watched the first three episodes within three hours. It didn't seem like that much of an issue, but I, I completely agree with what you're saying where it's like, get over it. You know? Yeah. So I definitely feel like that part of the storyline felt a little long. And I think there's 13 episodes. I don't know why I said 10. So there's 13 episodes. So in that regard, that was one of the things that I, I would say if I was going to make a complaint, that's one of them. Now, another interesting complaint I have is about Vincent D'Onofrio, who everyone loves as Kingpin. Um, when you when I say everyone, that's not true because my wife can't stand him, but she just can't stand Vincent <laughs> D'Onofrio. Just hates Vincent D'Onofrio. I think it's ridiculous. The cell is because she didn't like his performance in the cell. <laughs> I don't know why. I think she just finds him strange, and she's very judgmental. That woman, like very judgmental. You'd be surprised. Me and my um, brother used to have a joke about Vincent D'Onofrio from uh, 
what was the he was on a, a law and order show yeah criminal law and order criminal criminal mind yeah. or criminal intent criminal, criminal intent. intent and so me and, bro, me and my brother used to do this joke all the time where it's like because he would always do the same thing every time where it's like so you went into the room and you sat down like this and like he would do that to like everything he almost like columbo did you know what i mean he had a very like columbo like <laughs> one yeah. more question all right uh so it's just he would know that every time so me and my brother me and jeremy would do this joke all the time it's like so you sat down and had the cupcake like this and it's just like i get it vincent you're trying to pull out the information from him. can we try another way way to do yeah. that yeah that's the only thing i have but anyways I have no problems with Vincent D'Onofrio in general. I think he's a very good actor. And I called him venerable, and I I wouldn't have said that if I didn't mean it. And while I think he does Kingpin amazing, I think think he's superbly cast. I can never see Kingpin again without seeing Vincent D'Onofrio from now on. I do feel that he's the most long-winded character ever. I saw a meme going around (laughs) where, like on Twitter, where somebody put up like, a tweet of uh, like a picture of someone telling you know Kingpin that his car was ready, like his Uber was here, and then like Kingpin just starts going, "When I was a boy," and he just like freaking <laughs> does a soliloquy for like ten minutes, and so I feel like that happens a lot. There are times where I'm just like Kingpin, shut up, man, Wilson, just shut. So I feel where many people in the world are, might might be getting uh, worn out by as many so many superhero properties being about. Uh, especially Marvel, I am a little Wilson Fisk's out. I'm a little oversaturation, a little too much. Could use for a little bit less. There are some scenes, like especially when he's going through kind of like the uh, the childhood origin story of of Bullseye, you know, and like he's like showing up in this like. And, and, and let me let me say like the way it was shot was interesting, but at that point I was just so sick and tired of seeing like of seeing <laughs> like, Kingpin just constantly like. You have nothing to do with this. Get out. Get out of the way, man. It's like he kept photobombing everything after a while. And I just, I got a little worn out with him. And I got a little worn out with him in the season one, too. So I always felt like, even though I liked them, I felt like there was just too much. Like, there were episodes where it's just like, you know, the title of the show is called Daredevil, right? Like, you know, like, it's, it's Daredevil. It's not it's not Wilson Fisk. It's not Kingpin. It's not every other side character, but Daredevil. So like and like we'd see Daredevil for like 10 seconds. So I get a little tired of him after a while. But again, I have to suggest that on the whereas I feel like the character development stuff, had I watched this in a week to week setting would have been exacerbated in a negative way. I feel also that perhaps in a week to week delay the oversaturation or the, the constant inundation of Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin might have actually been lessened. So I think by binging it, I was I was making it seem like he was perhaps on the screen a lot more. So my memory of it might have been uh, adjusted somehow. Um, okay, so in terms of what I loved about the season, I loved Bullseye. I loved everything oh. about they oh, did. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, yes. so good. From how he he it was kind of introduced in sort of this 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 way the very first uh, appearance of the character who would eventually emerge into Bullseye. Now, granted, Bullseye isn't actually the term that they use, but we all you know anybody who knows knows it. Um, so, how he was introduced the very first time we see him, uh, the way in which the psychology of this character works was fascinating um, and 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 sort of almost sympathetic in a way, which was really interesting. Like how you made him such a sympathetic character despite being a villain. Um, so many of the fight sequences in which this happened were really fun to watch. 
Um, there were some episodes in Daredevil also, another another positive I would say. I think it was episode four. I want to say it's the it's the prison episode. It's either three mm-hmm, or four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My favorite. I mean, like it's it's that classic kind of long shot hallway fight from season one. You know, you like we we talk about this all the time. That's like the like that that to me is 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 just the perfect example of the good the stuff I like about Daredevil. I like the ninja you know fighting stuff in Daredevil. That's one of the reasons why Daredevil stands out to me from these other places because like Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Jessica Jones like there's not cool there's not cool fighting. It's just like hey I'm really strong or I have a really, I can just punch you really hard. Like the I don't think the fighting is as good. And so I like that that kind of cinematography that choreography that goes on with some of these fight sequences. And that prison sequence was just superb, like absolutely yeah. wonderful. The prison sequence and when he first fights Bullseye, uh, yeah. the, there's long cut shots of their interactions. And it's one thing I hate from TV shows and movies recently is whenever anybody fights, there's these quick, tight cut shots, just, you know, like born yeah. identity type of thing, where it's just a cut, 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 cut. And it's ridiculous. But every yeah. one of the... Every it one is of the, totally noticeable. Yeah, it's yeah. totally noticeable. And every one of these uh, interactions that they have with one another, it's basically like... Uh, maybe 30 second long pools of them just in full fight choreography. So they're not masking bad fight choreography with, I guess, intuitive or, or fancy cam work. They're showing full on choreography, which I love. It takes me back to like Jackie Chan and all this stuff where they're taking their time and showing that real fighting. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those, I mean, those are the, the thoughts I would, I would say off the top of my head. I felt like, there were some interesting backstories that are explored because I felt like Karen got a lot of play this season, which was really great to see. Um, we actually have some episodes. We have a lot of flashback episodes, in fact, not just with Bullseye's Origins, but also a little bit with Karen Page, which was which I thought was really interesting to see. Normally, I get kind of frustrated when an episode um, explores like flashback for such a long, continuous period, which is what happened in her episode. However, yeah, I really enjoyed it from the, yeah, oval. It's, just, it's, like, like, it's like a screeching yeah, halt. It just, it's like, exactly. It just brings the story to a screeching halt. And I was actually okay with it in this one. I think it's specifically simply because I just like Karen's character and I just, it was nice to see her get developed more. And like, there's this really interesting line that she says um, to Daredevil or Matt or whatever you want to call him, where she says like, he, he why why she never told him about anything you know or about about her past and she's like i like the way how you looked at me and thought i was an innocent you know and and i really like like the tortured nature of of what's going on in karen's past and like this pretty it was it was pretty immaculately done um foggy's got an interesting storyline but i think his is a little bit i don't i mean i don't want to say his is comic relief because it's really it's not but it's the closest thing to it i would say on a regular basis because it's not as it's not as like like dark as I would say Matt's is and Karen's is and Bullseye's is. I would say that that his is the lightest of the side stories, despite the fact that it has its own. We get a little bit of his family, but not a ton. Um, and he starts getting into politics, kind of, sort of, in a way. Um, and that's kind of fun as well. But overall, I very much enjoyed it. I hope they do a Daredevil season four. I hope Daredevil doesn't go the way that Luke Cage and, and Iron Fist have gone, because um, I do think it's the best of, of the four. Um, at least in my opinion. So what did you think? So yeah, I I loved it. Um, and I'm also a bit of a homer going into this. There's some twists and turns in the show that I saw coming because of the comics and what I know about the comics. Um, I think there it's up to debate. Is Kingpin the best Marvel villain ever in these you know movies and mm-hmm. TV adaptations? Like um, Thanos is top 
two, right? Because just after one movie, I think he's Maybe, supremely better than most. I have trouble with Thanos as a villain just because, like, I can't quantify him. You know, he's just so yeah. super powerful and strong and all that kind of stuff. Like, I can't quantify it. Like, I find Kingpin far more interesting because he's a human being and like he's just really smart and and he can he can plan fifty steps ahead and he's got a little bit of like about you know angry strength to him where he gets super mad and he gets a little bit strong but he's not like yeah. super strong or anything. He's just a big guy who's strong and he his anger gets the best of him. But I just I don't know. He's but he's is is he the best villain though? I think he might be because even though he is in terms of cinematically, I I would say for sure, yeah. And it's and I think a lot of it has to do with. D'Onofrio's uh, portrayal of him, I think he does a great job. Even though, like you do, say I would also put in a vote. I would, I would put in a vote for Kilgrave too. Actually, I really liked Kilgrave. So did I. I thought he was yeah. fantastic. Uh, uh, I think that. Well, first off, it was the Doctor playing him, so that's always fantastic. And I think it's yeah, David Tennant is definitely helping that. But I still liked him. I thought. I mean, it was just so like, oh god, it's all like, just, yeah, oh, so slimy and gross in, in so many ways. I thought the bullseye story was amazing. Um, the actual like build up to who he was, the little nods of like when he's a little kid and his hat has the bullseye mark on it, which is what his costume has right on sure, his forehead. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice little nods. Um, I really liked, you know, seeing all the little tiny Easter eggs, like when he opens up his little uh he opens up his safe, you see all the little weapons he uses, and he, that's very similar to like in the comic books, like the throwing stars and everything. Like what what FBI agent has throwing stars in a safe, right? That doesn't. What FBI agent doesn't have throwing stars in the safe? Let's be honest. But like right? for me, I'm like that's nice. I, I like seeing that little thing. But um, I thought it was a fantastic little uh portrayal of one of the best villains in the Marvel universe in the yeah in the comic book yep. because he he's insane. But they do a great job of saying why he's crazy and like why like the and whole bees thing. Sympathetic and like yeah. honestly making it sympathetic in a way. Yeah, it was awesome. Like you see, he's tortured and he can't help it. And there's something about him that can't be fixed. And like the whole bees thing in his head when he's losing his mind and he's just trying to find a way to find his north star and trying to you know get back on track and he just can't. And then like there's things that happen that manipulate the way he becomes the way he becomes. But man, he's he's really a piece of garbage, and I like it. I really like the how villainous he is because in the comic books, he's just a killing machine, and he is insane. Um, and I've been waiting for that particular moment for four years because I said season one, I'm like they got to bring Bullseye at some point because I, I love yeah, I love yeah. Bullseye as a character, especially paired with Daredevil. Like, I mean, that's Daredevil. honestly who I think of. Like when I think of Daredevil, I think of villain yeah. I immediately first well, thought of the Kingpin. It's it's actually it's Col- I, think I think Colin Farrell. Obviously, Colin Farrell. Uh, but <laughs> well, like, I mean, he is the quintessential, you know, bullseye. Yeah, bullseye. But like, it's just really amazing how they do it. And there's a couple twists. Like, uh, I'm trying to be as vague as possible in the church episode, uh, the episode called Karen. Church, church episode. There's like a church yeah. for most and of the, the And the Karen episode where they're in the church and, um, he ends up or daredevil ends up in a bad situation at the end and it cuts on like her holding him in front of the cross that is an exact uh opposite of what happens in the comic book with karen mm. bullseye which i liked mm-hmm. a lot because in the comic books bullseye murders karen in the church um and it's a really really 
cool moment. And that's the same thing where or, uh, Daredevil's holding her behind the cro- in front of the cross and stuff like that in the same exact position. So like, there's certain things that for me as the hardcore guy, I'm like, this, I like that, I like that, I like that, I like that. But overall, like, the development of the characters are fantastic. Um, Foggy is becoming a much, he's much, like you said, he's much less like, uh, he's comic relief, but he's much less comic relief because you don't, and he's not need... like, he's not like the whiny guy because I felt yeah, like yeah, yeah. times where he was like the whiny guy that kept kind of complaining and changing Matt. And like, I think he's moved on from that. And I think what they're doing with him in terms of just like his role, it's like, let's work together. Yeah. Let's stop exactly. Yeah. Let's stop hiding secrets. If you're going to do this, that's fine. And which is to me, yeah. if you're best friends, if like, listen, if I become a vigilante, right. You're not going to want to abandon me. You're going to want to work with me, right? Because we're friends. That's what's going to happen. Right. I mean, I am a super villain, so you oh. can be like a Uh-oh. henchman for me or something. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the sister Maggie thing, I knew that from the comics. Uh, I did not know that from the comics, comics, but I knew it from the very first time we saw her. Like, I was like, yeah. yeah I was wondering. Like, from, I say, hey, from your perspective, this is blank. And it's just like, yeah. yeah. I was wondering if you could tell. Because I knew about. just by hearing your name. I'm like, oh, yeah. I was wondering little known fact. Uh, I was in love with her, uh, that the actress back in like 1989, 1990, uh, because she was uh, she was Sorsha from Willow. That's uh, Joanna Wally. Yeah. Oh, that was her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. I I recognize those eyes anywhere. Uh, uh, (laughs) It was great to see her. I hadn't seen her in anything for a while. So it's it's like a total little blast from the past. Willow is one of my favorite movies. And like her and Val Kilmer were awesome in it. So. But the the sister Maggie stuff I thought was really good. I like the way they handled all that stuff. Um, in the comics, it's see th- this is a adaptation of a t- of a few things. There's a comic called uh, Daredevil Yellow, uh, read, read, read by Jeff or written by Jeff Johns, um, that is a really really good uh, story and has to do with his relationship with Karen and his mother and his father, and it's when Daredevil wore the yellow suit uh, for a while in comics, and it's also a mixture of when Bullseye. Uh, first gets introduced into the Marvel Universe also. So there's a lot of stuff in there, which I like. Um, I thought the story's told really well. The Nadim character, I think, is fantastic. Um, you really, yeah, it was pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, good. Well, I was worried that like he'd become like a, I don't care, let's move on. But he shows like how easily it is for this guy to take control of a situation, which I liked, which made it a little bit more... I, I liked him because he was... Like it was so strange because I'm like, oh, they're totally gonna kill him off here. Like they're totally oh, gonna yeah, kill him yeah. off here, and he just kept like hanging around. I'm like, oh, he's 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 much more, not like a you know. Yeah, there's so many moments where I thought this guy's dead. Like when he sees Daredevil yeah. in his garage, I was like, oh, he's dead right here. Like there's so many moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, this is it. Or like when he's sometimes he's sitting in his car for too long, and I think that's what the show does is really great. It creates this tension. There's these long shots, these long moments. You're like, okay, what's about to happen? He's 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 everywhere. Fisk is everywhere. Where is his fingers in this situation? How is he gonna control the situation? Nadim's getting a little bit too cocky. He's getting a little bit too uh, on the no. He's got to deal with him soon. So like that's what I liked about that moment where it creates a tension where it's like he's there's no way this guy can live through the situation. You know, he, if he kills a reporter for uh, uh, he's talking to his mom right in the first season what's going to be this guy trying to completely uproot his situation. So it's like, it's really interesting how they use that character. Um, again, like I said, the single shot was 23 minutes. It was amazing. Um, I, I have a complete, so I told you, I texted you after I watched it. I'm like, dude, this, this, this episode, like it was so good. Like, I have so a complete, like- I have a complete hard on for any time uh, that there's a, a TV family show, show Justin family show. Like when what I mean that, 
I said Hardon. That's a German <laughs> word. Uh, but uh, anytime a TV, or, no TV show or a movie does a long shot like that, I'm like, these guys got my respect. Because that one in particular, there's so much that had to be done to yeah, make the that The fight sequence? So good. Fight sequence and like the moving from space to space, the the blocking. It, it To me, it makes it feel like a play. It makes it feel like that anything can happen. Sure, absolutely. Which is interesting. Um, and then the, the detail put into setting it up has to be just astonishing. So it, to me, it's uh, it, it just has reinforced how great it is, and it reinforced how much better it is than the other ones. Because um, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's sometimes a factor of sadness. However, it it intersperses the sadness and messed up stuff with really good fight scenes, really good character development, and really good characters. Where it's like Foggy's great. And I really like Matt as a character. So like, and even like the villains, they're super intriguing. Mm-hmm. Like when he when Fisk went to go get his painting, I'm like, this, this is not going to end well. But yeah. it, just makes, it makes you nervous, and that's what I think is great about his character. Like he elicits a, a a feeling in you, even though he doesn't exist and he he's 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 fake. He just and and the woman that's involved, you don't even know who, know who she is, but it elicits a feeling in you that that I think what they're trying to create is create a reaction out of you, which makes it somewhat artistic in what they're doing. So I really, really like this season. Um, I still have two episodes to go. I tried my best to pound through it, but mm-hmm. it's just, I can't wait to finish the last two episodes. So all right, that's my thoughts. So uh, stellar recommendations from both of us. We both love it. Uh, Dare I do not recommend it. Do not watch. It's a well, one out of 10. Well, I'm confused, uh, but no, we uh, yeah, we definitely both like it. Really, really good. Uh, it's our favorites as well, but it was our favorite coming in too. So, uh, so think of that as as you will. Uh, and on that note, let's move on, sir, and let's uh, challenge each other in a gentlemanly way. Let's do it. And now it's time for the gentleman's challenge. So the gentleman's challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to challenge each other with some sort of homework assignment. Now, often this is watch a TV show, watch a movie, play a game, etc. And then we come back to ensure that we did our homework and quiz each other about it. Sometimes we give out these assignments with the intention of driving the other person crazy, giving them something bad that we know they're not going to like, or we know it's going to make them hate the other. And sometimes, honestly, I feel like this week we try to give each other something that is a little bit of a reward, a little bit... You know, a little bit of the little treat at the bottom of the of the sugary uh, cereal box, you know, we'll Something see. Like that. We'll see. That was the intention. There's a difference between whether or not you have taste and whether or not, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, so I should also mention that this uh, particular segment is very spoiler heavy. We will not uh, pull any punches uh, and we will talk about everything that happened uh, that we watched. Uh, so, Justin, I think it's my turn to start us off. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, so, Justin. In his infinite wisdom, let me let me tell you a little little backstory. Um, before we actually started publishing these episodes, uh, Justin and I did like three practice episodes or so, using the same sort of format, playing around in gentlemen's challenge, etc. And Justin thought he was going to be all clever, all clever, just you know, driving driving a little crazy. It's like, oh, I'm going to give Justin Riverdale on CW. Oh, it's gonna he's going to hate it. Oh, I'm going to win. Checkmate. Woo! And then I watch it, and I love it. And he couldn't get through the opening credits. Uh, and so he decided, flashback several months later, to assign me The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, uh, which 
was actually originally intended to be a companion series to the CW's Riverdale and was going to air on CW, but is now a full-fledged Netflix series, has uh, 10 episodes that are available right now uh, on Netflix. Uh, so you can go see them. Uh, opened up last, last Friday. Um, so now, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is based on a comic of the same name, and it's basically a supernatural horror. And I honestly thematically connected it to like grim or supernatural for its mixture of like fairly dark storylines, um, but also like some elements of like realism and humor. Yeah, I felt um, supernatural a lot yeah. too when I was watching it. Yeah, for sure. Um, now it's, you know, it's, it's not as, I don't think it's as like ridiculous as Riverdale is because Riverdale is just like, it's like, you can't ever take anything seriously. Um, whereas I think uh, the, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, I think has, is a little bit more straightforward in terms of like what it wants to be. And it wants to be this sort of creepy, surprisingly dark, witchcrafty in exploration of like Sabrina. So like I was actually really surprised with how dark it was because it, 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 it is. The main developing credit for this particular series is Roberto Aguiar Sacasa. Um, and it stars Kiernan Shipka, um, who was on Mad Men for a while, actually, um, as one of the one of uh, Draper's daughters, uh, Draper's daughter. I can't remember her name. Uh, but anyway, Kiernan Shipka stars as Sabrina Spellman, who is a teenage witch who at the beginning of the series is facing a very big life decision. She is a school week away from her 16th birthday and by extension, her dark baptism. All right. Not a not a regular baptism, but a, but a dark baptism uh so basically this is when a witch or the male version which is the warlock um sign their name into the dark lord's book in the dark lord being like satan lucifer or whatever uh pick your pick your poison and in doing so this commits to do his bidding like you'll you'll do what he says uh, but you know it's it's totally cool because satan is just like uh like a misunderstood libertarian and who just wants like super free will and wants the government and god to like just get up out of my business um and that's sort of all it is he's not like really crazy evil um, so anyway, this is a fairly big decision for her. So she's really kind of belaboring it over the first two episodes, which is what I watched. Um, and she's been looking forward to this pretty much her whole life, wanting to follow in her father's footsteps. Um, her father and her mother are dead. Um, they died, uh, we're at least told initially, in a, in a car accident. There might be more to that. Um, but he was a high priest, and I guess you want to call it a religion. It's called like the Church of Night or Church of the Night. So he was like a high priest, which was sort of the high, it's like the Pope, basically. It's the closest uh, you can get to being Satan, uh, but still be you know, human. Um, and so she also had a mom. Her mom was was human slash mortal. And so that was kind of a no-no. But because he was high priest, he sort of took advantage of that or he was like granted immunity or whatever, because you're not supposed to mix like the witchcraft life with the, the mortal human life. Um, but for Sabrina, as teenagers do, uh, they tend to get in these romantic relationships and you think that, you know, it's a life or death thing that like, you know, the, the, the romantic relationships you have while in high school are just like the most important things ever. And so she's, she's, you know, she's in that, that boat. She's seeing a, a really awesome swell guy uh, with really awesome jackets. And his name is Harvey and he's played, <laughs> by, he's played by Ross Lynch. He has awesome jackets, man. And honestly, he's got, he's got nice hair too. Um, and she's got these super awesome friends who need her help, um, especially uh, Susie, who has been mercilessly picked on by football player goons like Justin and all the people that he coaches, uh, because Justin's a football coach, 
because she's exploring her gender identity and and she kind of has like short hair she she dresses like and you know quote a boy type of thing and so they they pick on her quite a bit um anyway sabrina is quite torn and in the first two episodes it's all about her coming to this decision and this and then in the second episode it, it ends on her decision right um, she's got two aunts. There's Miranda Otto, which everybody knows from like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, she's Zelda. And then there's Lucy Davis, who is actually um, from that zombie one. Oh, my God. Uh, Shaun of the Dead. Excuse me. Uh, she plays Hilda. Uh, and they have slightly different views on uh, what Sabrina should do. Miranda, uh, Miranda Otto, Zelda is like super hardcore pro-libertarian, says you have to sign the book, whereas Hilda is like a little bit nicer and like, hey, you should be open to making your own choices and stuff like that. Uh, plus, there's Mrs. Hard uh, Ward, excuse me, Mrs. Wardwell, who is a teacher of Sabrina's, who's killed very early on in the series, like within the first five minutes, and replaced by a witch. Then there's these three mean prep school witches that are called the Weird Sisters, who also kind of um, harass Sabrina a bit and don't want her to sign the book because if she signs the book, she goes to some fancy prep school um, in in Connecticut or whatever, and like they don't want her to do that because they're I don't know they don't want half breeds and they call her a half breed. Um, Sabrina's got a 70 year old cousin who looks like he's 20, but he seems pretty cool. He's a mortician because they all live, uh, the, the aunts and Sabrina and, and the cousin, they all live in this funeral home. Um, anyway, long story short, uh, Sabrina decides to eat this like special apple to help with guidance. It's like a malacarium, um, something like that. And she has a vision of a bull demon that pops out of a tree. And then there's a bunch of witches that are hanging from the branches. Um, so she starts to get like, you know, the heebie-jeebies from that. Uh, and then because she's been wavering on her decision, the aunts bring Father Faustus Blackwood uh, to come sort of tell her about it and try to convince her he's the high priest. Like he's like the really, he, he's essentially what her father was. Um, and she gets all the, she gets the willies kind of hanging out with him. And uh, so end of, end of episode two, uh, she leaves this Halloween party slash birthday because Halloween is her birthday. Uh, and she... At the last possible second, as she's going through the dark baptism ritual, as Father Faust is like, you know, slices her palm to get her blood so she can sign her name in an actual book, uh, she gets like another little vision and she's like, no, 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 I'm out. And she runs away and nearly gets attacked and stuff like that. And then like the the cousin sort of protects her in a way. And so, yeah, and that's 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 where we end. So that's that's the show. What do I think of it? I think it's actually pretty good. Um I, I don't think it's bad at all. I, I have, I still only watched the two, um, but I was, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with it. I think it's, if you're a person who was thinking of Sabrina, the teenage witch with Melissa Joan Hart, and that's what you remember of Sabrina and you watch this boy, are you in for a treat? Cause it's totally different. Um, I think that if I had one major complaint about the show, it is the constant use of like the fishbowl lensing that they do. Um, where like we're constantly seeing like the like the center like the center of the actual of the actual screen is in focus but then like the outskirts of that screen are really like vague and distorted and i think they're doing it because they're trying to suggest like this magical or supernatural element but it was very annoying um if they can stop doing that i'm i'm good like i'm good with it i really don't have any other major complaints about it um i do you know, I, I'm a little tired of like, you know, teenage romance stuff kind of getting in the way uh, of stuff. But uh, at the same time, like that's what the show is. You know, it's part of the show. That's cool. It's just it's but it's good. It's it's very dark, um, very gruesome. 
I don't know what it's rated. I don't know if there's like a rating for television the way there is for um, for uh, for movies, but this is certainly not a PG or even I, I mean, really, arguably even a PG thirteen. There are some pretty gruesome moments with like spiders and there's some corpse stuff and things like that going on. There's all sorts of interesting storylines as they start dropping, like kind of about Sabrina's parents and whether or not they were actually murdered. Um, she starts seeing, she sees a vision of them, like while it's during the baptism, they tell her to run. And so that's like kind of the cincher for her. That's when she realizes I got to get up out of this stuff. Um, I'm kind of curious about that kind of thing. There are some funny moments as well. Like when Miranda Otto's Zelda literally kills uh, Hilda and bears her in the garden, which is pretty funny. Uh, she comes back. It's it's cool. It's fine. Uh, but I liked it. What did you think of it? I thought it was really interesting. Um, it's very... Like I watched it with my wife because I thought my wife would like it. Um, and the way she put it was she likes where it's kind of going, but she wants to see where it goes before she makes a full decision on it. Um, <laughs> okay. And um, because she, she was enjoying watching it with me. And um, uh, I don't know. I feel like I've seen Sabrina before in something, but then I, you know, maybe she's just also stereotypical little blonde girl. I don't know something about her. Like, I feel like, like the actress before. you mean? Yeah. I feel like I've seen her in something before. But... She was, she was on um, Mad Men, which I think is, yeah, but I never watched one. Mad Men. So. She was, um, I think she was on, a, she was in an episode of that Kimmy Schmidt show. I can't remember. Yeah, the name I haven't of it. seen that either. But um, like, she just seems very, you know, else. She doesn't seem special to me. But what I did like about the show is the way they talk about the most horrific stuff. Like it's nothing, you know, like, oh, you got a curse. That sucks. It's a blood curse. Um, just take a shower a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. It's yeah. like, I think it's, that's very quirky, which kind of like harkens back to like a bewitch type of thing, you know, which I think Sabrina always took, uh, uh, like the comic book and the TV show is still kind of like a inspiration from Bewitch, where it's like, oh, this awful thing's going on, but it's okay. You know, it's do a few things. Yeah. And I think it's very funny that they use that type of thing. You know, it seems very serious, but she's kind of like, oh, God, not again. Where it's just kind of like, you know, they put a blood curse on you in a normal, th- a normal world that'd be like, oh, my God. But like in this, it's kind of like, this is really inconvenient. And so it's just kind of like, I like that kind of attitude, the quirkiness of the show. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, the fisheye lens thing drives me nuts. That's all yeah, I can really it was, say. It was it was it was really my only complaint about the about the show at all. Like everything was, I thought it was pretty solid. Um, I thought like it was weird trying to figure out when it was set because it's very old timey, like 1960s or something. Because all the cars are like 1960s. No I think it's supposed phones. to be amalgus in that way where it's like it can yeah. be set any time. Well, I think I mean the sensibilities that they sort of describe, and then some of the uh, I think some of the storylines suggest sort of. I think an earlier 20th century vibe and i mean there's no like there's no technology represented in here that, that would suggest anything like there's no flat screen tvs or anything like that everything looks older there's uh there's newspapers that people are reading like actual paper um so i feel like it's a little bit it's a little bit older but that, which is fine i have no problem with that either but um yeah anyway it's it's good solid i i can't i can't make fun of it i can't complain because i i think it's solid i might watch it some more um I don't know when uh, I think I think I might take a little break from the scary stuff here since I've been overwhelming myself with it with Halloween. But um, but yeah, I, I actually think it's pretty good. I, I, I definitely would recommend it. All right. So you ready for your quiz? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right, I got a couple questions for you. So what is Sabrina's dark baptismal name? I'm sorry. What is Sabrina's dark baptismal name that she chose? Uh, Edwina Diana. It's very her, good her parents yeah 
her father Edward and Diana her yeah. mother. Very, yeah. very good. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. Nice I only it like five or six times. Yeah. Uh, what did Sabrina find in her shoe? Um, was that the dead bat thing? It had to do with the dead bat because they said the dead bat's a, a the bat flying through a window is a bad omen. And then she said, if we're going by bad omens, I found this in my shoe. Bad omens. What did she find in her shoe? I remember the bat. I don't really remember the shoe. I don't know. Tannis? She found a she found a two-headed frog. That's what she found in her shoe. She's like, like, well, if a bat flying through my window is a bad omen, then the two-headed frog I found in my shoe can't be good either. Yeah, it was like an offhanded comment. It wasn't wasn't, like they didn't actually show it to me. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. All right. How does a fish rot? Uh, from the head down. Very good. Very, yeah. very good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next question. These are serious questions, by the way. This is like Pretty a good. legit quiz you're giving me here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked hard. Sweating a bit. Yeah. All right. Sabrina asked the father, what is the Dark Lord? Sabrina says he's the embodiment of something, and he says he's the embodiment. So what do they say? Can you say that again? So Sabrina's asking the father, what is the dark Lord, right? She says he's the embodiment of one thing. And he says he's the embodiment of another thing. So what do they both freedom? I think, right? So what does she think? And what does he think? Um, What's he the embodiment of in Sabrina's eyes? And what's he the embodiment of in the father's eyes? I don't, well, it's freedom on the father's side of it. um, Where I want to say, can't remember what her side is um maybe um like either evil or disobedience maybe something like that i'll give you full credit on that so really she she thought he was the embodiment of evil right and he said he was the embodiment of will which is pretty much freedom will okay yeah and he started talking about freedom yeah yeah yeah. okay all right so you got you three for four so far all right thank you number five question oh you got got this i'm taking it seriously you got sick Number five, what would happen if she was late to the party? She was late to the party. Oh, God, I remember this. Um, oh, man, I remember this line because it was Miranda Otto who said it. Oh, man. Something about blue fire, like they would burn her alive in blue flame or something. Is that right? That is correct sir oh my god i'm crushing it yes the blue flame would burn her bring it that's yeah yeah right last question the most important question can anyone on set get the camera in focus can anybody someone please <laughs> apparently not because they never that's also did correct. That's correct. okay that's also correct. yeah so frustrating yeah yeah like i know it was like for in, like for effect but it got really annoying after a while. somebody please just kind of like it's kind of like wobbly cam like shaky cam from like cloverfield or something that's like okay i get the point can we just stop doing that now and just make this a watchable we know, get it it's experience? whimsical yeah i get it just do it a couple times got it now can we just make it experience? yeah it really bugged me uh it really bugged me i gotta say right, five out of five six out of- holy crap that was your most serious quiz you've ever given me pretty serious and, and I, I i crushed it i gotta say I cr- even though when i got wrong i was pretty, pretty, uh, i was right lose mine terribly like always I think you'd be all right. I think you'd be all right. Anyway, uh, pretty good show. I, I I definitely recommend it. I think it's good. I think it's solid. Uh, I can't. I, yeah. Other than that little thing with the camera, I think it's a it's a pretty good show. So definitely check it out if you're interested. All right. All right. Your turn, Justin. What was your homework assignment? 
So my homework assignment was uh, Green Room. Okay, the director was Jeremy Saulnier, and it stars Anton Yelchin. Saulnier. Saulnier. Anton Yelchin, the late great Anton Yelchin. Um, Yeah. Imogen Poots, which might be one of the best names I've ever heard. My I I love her, man. Ever since I saw her, and like I love that name. Like like that name just so good. Uh, She was in. uh, She was not not thirty days. What was the one like the second one? Days later. 28 weeks later she was in. Yeah, so 28 weeks later that she was in. So well, that seems like poots, though. It's funny. Yeah. It's pretty cool, though. And she was also just recently, we just did a sh- uh, one of the assignments you gave me. What was the one that I watched that you did for a challenge a couple weeks back where the uh, where it was like the girl who, I Kill Giants. That's what, she was also in that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it also stars Aaliyah Shawkat, who's in um, Arrested Development. She plays Maybe in Arrested Development. Um, so... Basically, the idea of this is you have a up and coming. Oh, excuse me. Time out. Time out. I think you're forgetting the biggest name. Oh, my bad. What is wrong with Uh, you, sir? Sir. Sir Patrick Stewart also stars. That's correct. That's correct. Um, And he does a great job. Um, I I can't believe I I buried the lead. How dare I? I can't believe you didn't. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I get it. Anton, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Good deal. But no Patrick Stewart. Crazy. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Professor he is X. an avid listener to the podcast, and so he's. We're gonna get emails from him. He's not. Gonna, I hope not. He's not gonna appreciate this at all. Anyways, so the idea is you have a heavy metal or punk rock band that is up and coming. They're a bunch of poor guys. They've disconnected themselves from social media and stuff like that because, in a podcast or an interview they have, they describe that they want the hunger so to have the hunger they kind of disconnect themselves from the widespread world so they want to be able to have the full experience well they go to this guy who was interviewing him he said he was going to hook him up with a with a gig but ended up being at a uh, a mexican restaurant and they got free lunch so and uh, free beans free, free lunch and like $30 that's all they got really yeah, so, like six bucks a piece or something. I think it was, yeah, it was real bad. So they're really upset with him. So he says, I can get you another gig. It's from my cousin. Um, but it's a little bit of a rough area. Just uh, go with your old stuff. Because in this place, it is a white supremacist like club. And in this club, uh, you got a bunch of uh, neo-Nazis. And um, they go perform here. And when they go perform, they right before they perform, they go in this place called the Green Room, which is where everyone goes before they perform. They go in the Green Room. Um, and they kind of put their stuff down there. They go perform. Everything's really hostile and uh, neo-Nazi-ish, right? Because as one would be. And when they're leaving, uh, Anton Yelchin's character forgets that he left his phone in the room. And when he goes back, someone's inside. They're murdered. And they have a knife in Correct. their head. And so it takes this hard turn from up-and-coming band trying to become something new and like the struggles of living on your own to uh-oh, this is a really, really hard turn of we're in a really bad situation. And so he gets his phone right away, calls the cops. Cops come, the guy kind of covered up. So this upsets the uh, the neo-Nazis, obviously, um, that there's a murder in their place and that they now have to cover it up and they have to deal with it. So basically they're stuck in the green room they lock it up and there's a guy mm-hmm. in there um, whose name is Justin. He's this big dude who's the bouncer. And yeah. Big, dumb, idiot bouncer named Justin. Wait a minute. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so they kind of have like a standoff. They say, well, the cops are gone. Give us the gun and we'll let you out. And they're like, we're not going to give you the gun because it'll kill us. And they're kind of like stuck. And um, 
then proceeds to be some of the grossest stuff I've seen in a movie in a long time. Um, you are so stating this. Oh my god, it's pretty gross, dude. Um, it's this okay. is the stuff. This is the stuff that I don't like in movies, like this particular thing. You know, it's not real, right? I know, it's but it's real gross. Um, I had to cover my hand, my eyes with my hand for a while because I thought for the longest time he was going to snap Justin's arm. That eventually does. But like mm. for the longest time, I thought it was gonna happen. So I'm like, please God, please no, please no. Oh come like, on, that that's, that's nothing. That's, that's stuff. nothing. We see that when we watch like NFL all the time. When they're like, oh, I know, I've seen it happen in real life. Oh. It's gross. I can't take it. Like I, I that stuff is rough. So like, uh, here's my notes. Uh, I wrote, ugh, gross. Why? Oh God, Picard saying the N word. <laughs> So, like, <laughs> so that was my next movie. I do, I do. Uh, so basically, as a standoff, they say we'll give you the gun. And when Anton Yelchin gives the gun to him, he's got two buddies with him, and they try cutting his hand off. They start like hacking at his arm when he pulls yeah, his arm back, his hands clearly almost cut off his body. And that really got me. And so then, yeah, but it was so ridiculous because he should have died like, bef- like really quickly from like blood loss. Like those cuts or were so shot. deep. It yeah. was, but that was really gross. That that really, it's not that it was bad. It's just for me, that's the stomach churning stuff for me. Like that's the things that I can't take in horror movies. Which I'm glad we're getting okay. away from that stuff. Oh we're no, we're not the psychological stuff. We're we're not. But like, um, because it, it's it's not the fact that it's gross. It's the fact that it's so real. To me, that's real. Like the, when we had that uh, one movie, I forget what it was, where the, the uh, what was it, hardware? When we had hardware. That was so With ridiculous. Dylan McDermott? Is, is he a nice guy? Uh, but like that was so ridiculous that it didn't bother me. But this was so real. It was just stomach churning. Because then when they start, they start choking out Justin. And when they choke him out, first off, they snap his arm. Then they choke him out. And then as he's choking out to make sure he's out, the one girl from the previous band, who's played by uh, Emojin Poots, slices him from belly button to chest with a box cutter. And that's and it's so smooth and so quick and so – that was – oh, that was rough. For me, I can't do that stuff. I was like, oh, man. Why? I was thinking that's a really sharp box cutter. Like, I That's what would happen. It's really not that sharp. It was it was rough, and then so they try and make their way out. It's basically a, a race against time to see if they can get out. Patrick Stewart's trying to manipulate them to get them to come out so they can kind of kill them and deal with it. It's basically, comes a horror, and um, they try setting up their situation to make it look like they were uh, um, trespassing on their property and stealing gas from them, so they can kind of say it was self defense and stuff like that. In the process, one of the friends named Tiger gets his throat bitten off by a dog. And that was horrific. Um, one of the guys tries to help him out and he gets his face blown off. That was rough too. Um, another fat guy gets his throat slit. Another guy gets shot in the head and neck. Um, a dog gets shot in the leg and made me very sad. And at the end, even though really awful people raised that dog, I was very sad when the puppy was sad. I was like, oh, no. His I, know, right? I said the same thing too. I was like, oh. Because it's a cute little puppy. And then even though it rips someone's throat out. Um, and then at the end, Patrick Stewart tries to fight back and gets his head blown off. Um, not blown off, just a giant hole in his head. And I still thought he played a really good sinister villain. Um, and he, he was very quiet and very reserved and had a plan. 
and you could see why he's doing the things he's doing um, to try and just make so he covers his own butt. Because it wasn't even his fault someone died. It was someone else's fault, part of the group. He's just trying to cover it up and make sure that his whole group doesn't go down. So, like, you see why he's doing the things he's doing, and, like, these kids are just kind of caught up in it, and the kids kind of screwed themselves by calling the police, and, you know, even though it's the right thing to do. Uh, a few cool twists and turns, and then at the end, um, there's a joke that I couldn't hear. So I hope that's not one of the questions. So, wait at the very end. What do you hear? Yeah, you couldn't hear it. Couldn't hear what they said. They were whispering to each other when they were talking at the very Imogen yeah. and Anton. Yeah. She. Yeah. He asked. Uh, she. He's like, oh, I finally know what my desert island band is, and she's like, uh, tell it to someone who gives a blank. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. Yeah. So uh, it was a uh, it was a good movie. It was good, but for me at points it was also super stomach churning i can't take some of that stuff so you found a good balance between good story cool interesting it's really good good acting and good storyline mixed with oh my god that's disgusting um it was really graphic at points and i've heard about this and i knew the stuff that happens in the green room is rough and then when i saw it happen i'm like oh my god i can't take this (laughs) Like that's the stuff I can take. Is you know how many dislocated elbows I've seen as a wrestling coach? How many? How many terrible? Just like so, I know. Well, you're close. I know, like that. That stuff happens, and that's what made it rough for me. Is this was all so real? And it but it, it so wasn't. Rough. Wouldn't like the real stuff actually cause you more trouble than like this fictional, like portrayal of it? I don't like, know. don't get was, me wrong. I would be impressed if the actors and the director committed to actually slicing someone's sure, 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 up and disemboweling them and everything. I mean, I would question it morally and ethically, but like at the same time, I mean, they went for it. Pretty good, you know. They yeah. went for it. Yeah. That, that's the that's the problem. I have. It's just really, ugh, it's realistic. But it's good. Like it's a good movie. Yeah. It's just not necessarily the type of movie that you would voluntarily. Watch. I, there's a lot but, of times like, where really I'm really like, good. oh, I'm like, my hand was over my eyes. I'm like, come on, God. <laughs> I just, but it wasn't like. I've it wasn't like I hated I've been, it. I've been sitting on this one for like five weeks, man. I'm yeah, like, but it wasn't like I hated it at all. It was just a thing where I'm like, please stop yeah. it. Can we please move to the next scene? Yeah, that's yeah, that's all really good. is. But like when I first watched it, I was like, I was like putting together miniatures uh for like you know D and stuff, and like I wasn't, I was really wide. My, my wife was out of town, and I wasn't really paying attention to it too much. I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool, yada yada yada. And then there was the part where the dog started coming out and tearing through people. I'm like, oh. Oh, uh, so I'm like, I'm going to have to rewatch this and actually pay attention. So yeah. this guy has a has a history of great movies like Blue Ruins supposed to be good. Ruin, yeah, man. Uh, the we Witch watched Hold the Dark. The same. He did. He did, He's the guy who did Hold the Dark that we reviewed yeah. a couple weeks back. He also did The Babadook, which is supposed to be a decent horror movie. Babadook's very good, actually. Uh, it's and It weird. Follows is supposed to be amazing. So, yeah. hmm? so the guy's thought about actually giving you It Follows, but I was like, nah, I want to do Green Room. I thought it would have been better. Yeah, because it follows not even gross. This is kind of like strange. This is like, Mm. this is the exact stuff. A little bit gross. There's a, there's a few. There's like, it's not like it's, it's not a gore fest. Like it really isn't. It's not overwhelming there, but there are a handful of moments where that are super like intense. Like it's very intense at times. Yes. Anyways, all right, you ready for your quiz? I'm ready to fail. Here we go. Okay, so first question: What's the name of the band that caused? Let's just call it the initial problem. Well, I know that the song they were going to leave on was Meat Grinder. Um, that's correct, but that's not the question. Oh, man. Was it Body Count? Body Count is incorrect. The correct answer is Cow Catcher. Oh, no. Yeah. Cow Catcher. That's what yeah. it was. Okay. All right. Second question. 
What is the name of the punk rock band around which the entire movie is based? Oh, I don't even know that. They're banned. Did What's they their mention band that? Multiple times. Multiple times. It was even on the little flyer oh, and everything. No. Oh, boy. He says it. He says who they are when he gets the microphone and he starts talking to the crowd. Yeah, Why are the most obvious? That's the problem. You give the most obvious questions and I just it's not so stupid to forget. This, is, this one's even easier than Cowcatcher, I think. Uh, they're called the Ain't Rights. The Ain't I don't even remember that. I'm really bad. Towards the end of the movie, and those are the easy questions. I had a much more difficult oh, question. No. I had a much more difficult question, and like you said, I didn't think you... I'm like, you, you did a pretty good job. You, you, you hung with it, so I didn't give you the really hard question. All right, so the next question. Towards the end of the movie, as Sam and Pat, Sam being Imogen Poots' character, Pat being Anton Yelton's character, as they try to survive like the cleanup phase, where like they're the last two left, who did Pat say he was after he like shaved his head and like they painted stuff? Oh, over, he's like, Odin. That's right. He's Odin himself. Excellent. It was a very weird moment, wasn't it? I'm that Odin was himself. weird. He just hops down. Yeah, it was a very weird moment. Um, but uh, yeah, good times. Uh, yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. I got one. Okay. Question number four. When the band originally gets trapped in the green room with Justin, the big dumb guy, uh, they keep talking. Yeah, that, he's a big dumb guy. Uh, they keep talking about wanting a phone. They even go so far as to ask to trade the gun that they were holding to Patrick uh, Patrick Stewart for a phone. Here's my question: Why didn't they just use the phone that was sitting on a countertop in the exact same room <laughs> they were sitting at? And it was like right right next to Justin, where he was saying, "Why didn't they use that?" So what's what's your answer? Uh, because they're part of a millennial group that they don't know what that is. They think it's like art dressing for the room uh so like it's so that room's style was uh taped up couches swastikas uh uh ss stickers and fake phones that's what they thought it was so they thought it was part of the accoutrement of the room i'm gonna give you half credit that's pretty close actually okay. the correct answer is because it was a landline and because they are young millennials they actually don't know what landlines look like oh okay uh, yeah that's, that's kind of like going for that you know, you're pretty close. You're pretty close. So I'm going to give you half credit for that. I feel like Definitely. I should get full on that. You're wrong because you didn't mention anything about being young millennials and they don't know what a landline is. Yeah, I said, that. I said millennials. You didn't say about them not being able to recognize what a landline. You didn't say landline or anything. You didn't. Yeah, you, you got half credit. Don't push me, <sighs> Justin, because I'll, I'll just give I'll you zero. It. Okay. I guess I'll take it. All right. Take what Final. I can get. Final question. Points for me are few and far between, you know. So I'm you, you have 1.5 so far coming into question five. Final question. And there is a correct answer to this question. I know it's gonna sound like they're they're like you're the only one who gets to dictate what the correct answer is, but I'm telling you, there's a correct answer. So, Justin, what is your desert island band? Oh, all right. So that there is a correct answer. Okay. okay. Just let you know. Is it my Desert Island band or is it what you think my Desert Island band would be? It is it is just an answer that you have to give me. I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. So it's got, I think it has, it has to be Journey, uh, Greatest Hits. That's interesting. It's an interesting answer, but unfortunately not the correct answer. Oh, no. The correct answer is Jimmy Buffett in the Coral Reefer band. Because you're on a desert <laughs> island, who better to listen to than boat drinks? Then, yeah. then a drunk old lady band. You're absolutely right. Yeah, margarita, margarita stained lips. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, 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 I
All right. You ready for it? So uh, total was 1.5 out of 5. I'm actually quite disappointed that you didn't get the band names. I figured you would get those. Yeah, I heard Cowcatcher so many times, too. Yeah. I'm so stupid. It was written down and everything. Ain't rights as well. Like, I was, I was yeah, you should have done better, I thought. Should have done better. Okay. That's what my Annie. whole family thinks about me and my life and career choices. Not just your family, but your friends as well. It's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, new quizzes. What, what do you got for me? Uh, this one is a request from Jeremy, so I hope that you haven't seen it, um, because he saw, he heard his, Jeremy's one of our adamant listeners. Um, sure. He, he was very upset today that he didn't get it on time, um, so no. we're going to have to make it up to him somehow, you know? Blame your uh, brother. It's, yeah, it's, it's my fault. fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, he suggested, because he was listening to, he was listening to the podcast about Goblin Slayer, and he thought it reminded him of this, um, because... Wait, wait. Uh, you're not going to say berserk, are you? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, because he it reminds him of like people gathering quests and stuff like that. So he wants you to watch Sword Art Online, and it's on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that yet or not. I so. have not. I have not. I have not. So your challenge is Sword Art Online is a request for my brother. So you're gonna have to give that a shot. All right. Okay, we'll do. Um, I have one for you, and this is a movie. Uh, it's gonna be a two-parter. Um, I'm doing one this week, and then we'll do one with the next episode. Um, these are movies that Wobbly recommended to me. Wobbly and I have very similar uh, movie tastes and TV show tastes. And so he recommended this to me a couple weeks back. Um, but I would like you to watch. Uh, it's a fairly low budget movie. Um, this one actually, it might, it might, you might have to rent it uh, for like $2.99 on Amazon. But the second one is on Netflix. Uh, this one's called Resolution. Resolution. It's All this right. little um, kind of indie sci-fi-ish some people call it horror, but it's really not even remotely horror. Like, I guess the, it kind of is sort of, but like, there's nothing. You're not going to be grossed out. Don't worry. There's nothing to be grossed out about. Promise. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's going to be first first one. That's, uh, what can I find it on? Uh, Amazon. I, I got it off Amazon Prime. But I can't remember if I had to rent it or if oh, it was just free. But it's by the way. Solution. Yes. I was looking up Green Room on Amazon Prime. I just wrote in green, right? And when it searched... You know, like everything has green in it comes up to it. The hands that was like reaching out to grab the woman. Is that the one you're talking about? No, there was um there's a movie called Green Glass, and I almost assigned that to you. I just want you to go on Amazon. You don't have to go watch this. Go on Amazon and just look at the poster art for Green Glass. Just type in green on Amazon Prime and see what shows up. It should be like the third one over. Just do that for me. I want to see a reaction of if you would I wonder if it's the same one that I saw because I I saw something as well, very similar. Uh, so but, I need you to okay. look, just just look at that. All right. So I will, I will. Okay. Right. Done. So uh, Done. I'm, I'm I'm good. So resolution. All right. Okay. Resolution. All right. All right. So let's close this episode down as we're beginning to close down uh, all of uh, October scary movie month, scary theme month. Uh, we're going to be moving into a Thanksgiving month. I don't I don't really know Thanksgiving movies. I'm just going to give you movies that have turkeys in them. Uh, it's just it's just going to yeah. be uh, we're going to watch sponsored by wild turkey. Constantly. Yeah. What? what the hell is that? Native Americans. Okay. There you go. Okay. Oh my god, you're a dumbass. Uh all right, let's let's finish this up. Uh if you want to uh go ahead and get up on the old Stitcher or iTunes, wherever the hell it is that you actually get our podcast, want to give us a review, give us a like, give us some stars, whatever it is you do, uh, we would very much appreciate it. Uh, if you uh, want to catch us on the old social media, you can find me on Twitter at lollygaggerco, or you can hit our website lollygaggerco.com. Uh, we can find our uh, find our episodes up there as well. Have any suggestions uh, for uh, for challenges or the like, or even breakdowns, uh, or just something you think one of us 
uh, might enjoy reading or playing or watching that we could talk about in the podcast, we'd be uh, happy to hear uh, some suggestions. Uh, Justin is uh, getting ready to do some, uh, getting ready to do some more hardcore twitching. That's a new thing uh, because uh, I know that uh, football's ended. So, uh, Justin, where can they find you on Twitch? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Jehufa. Uh, I'll be starting a wrestling season in a couple weeks. Until then, I'm going to be on the Vigi games playing them real good. So hit me up there anytime. Watch my uh, terrible playing. So anytime. Very cool. All right. So you ready to do some thank yous? You know it. I'm going to bring it back here. This is where the Dodgers come back. You ready? Here we go. All right. I want to thank the Dodgers for making it to the World Series and losing again for the second time in a row. This time they lost four to two. Now, many people are going to say that they lost four to one in five games. But since the game that they did win was 18 innings long, I think that they should be credited for winning two games, thus losing four to two. But anyway, thanks, Dodgers. I'm a math teacher. The math checks out. Totally does. Um, I'd like to thank my plantar fasciitis um, on the bottom of my left foot for almost snapping in half because the football field I work on on a regular basis has just constant divots. And so it makes it so it's very hard for me to walk. So thank you, uh, plantar fasciitis. First off, for being, me being able to say that word. Secondly, for hurting my foot. So thank you. I want to thank whoever packed the mixed bag of candy that my wife just bought for trick-or-treaters on Wednesday. Uh, specifically, I want to thank whoever put an inordinate amount of almond joy inside. Because I love almond joy. Uh, like almonds and coconut and stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. I also want to thank Hugh Jackson. Uh, your watch has ended, so thank you once again for <laughs> for for falling on the sword for us. So thank you. <laughs>